Apostle Paul is single-minded in his ambition. He wants the gospel proclaimed to everyone, everywhere. He sees that everything in his life serves this great purpose. He says, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the gospel. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. Well, here we are on week four in our study in the book of Philippians. And uh, I want to show you a picture painted in 1627 by Rembrandt. And it's a picture of the Apostle Paul in prison. Now, this is not the full picture. It's a close-up of the Apostle Paul. Because I want you to see something in Paul's, uh, Paul's uh, prison cell. You'll notice a sword uh, to his right. And that's a strange thing to see in a prison cell. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is, is that the, the painter wants to communicate uh, something to us. In fact, you're going to find in all medieval works of art that pertain to the Apostle Paul that he is often pictured with a sword. And the reason is not because he's a, a superior swordsman. That's not why that sword is there. It's to remind us of a few things. First of all, the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, talked about putting on the full armor of God. And of course, part of the armor was the sword, which is a sword of the Spirit, also known as the Word of God, which is the Bible. And in case you don't know it, the Apostle Paul was responsible for uh, writing 25% of the New Testament. And so there's the Apostle Paul with his sword but there's a, another reason why they include the sword with the Apostle Paul, and that is because the Apostle Paul was a martyr. He was put to death for his work in preaching the gospel. This sword was the instrument of his death, and so it really is a, a message to the onlooker that this is a martyr for Christ. Because he was a, a citizen of Rome, it meant that he could not be crucified. Only people who were not citizens of Rome were crucified the way that the Lord Jesus Christ was, uh, was nailed to a cross. Brother, because he's a citizen, uh, he was beheaded with that sword. And so that, that sword really is a, sort of a badge of honor that this man is a martyr for Christ. Now, for the last three weeks, we've been talking about uh, the introduction to the book of Philippians. It includes Paul's salutation, his greeting, and it also includes his prayer for the Philippians. And now we get to the meat of the letter, which starts at verse 12. Verse 12 uh, begins um, with these words. So if you have your Bibles, you can take them and turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Uh, and we're reading to verse 18. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news 
For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Now, when we read this passage of scripture, we're tempted to think, well, Paul is in a rather hopeless and desperate situation. The Philippians, no doubt, were, they would have heard that Paul was imprisoned. We know that because they sent funds to the Apostle Paul through Epaphroditus, which you're going to hear about in the days to come. Epaphroditus brought the offering to Paul, which would have helped him and supported him, providing him with food. Some would have looked at this situation and said, well, this is a disaster, an absolute disaster for the Apostle Paul. And some would be tempted to despair. But that is not the way the Apostle Paul saw it. He was not tempted to despair. He did not think the situation was hopeless. He did not think it was a disaster. Now, I want everybody to stop for a moment and think about this. Because if it was you or me, we would think, oh, this is a disaster. How could it possibly be worse than this? The great Apostle Paul can no longer go out preaching anymore. But that's not how the Apostle Paul saw it. So when we read that passage of Scripture, a couple of questions come to our mind. First of all, what was the most important thing for Paul? We could ask that of ourselves. What is the most important thing for us? What are our aspirations? What are, what's our hope? What is the most important thing that should occupy our time? The other question would be, how on earth could Paul remain so positive, so upbeat? How on earth could he be encouraged when clearly he was under attack? Well, here he is, he's in prison. He is, he's got minimal freedom. I mean, basically, he's allowed to talk to people and have visitors, that's about it. He's shackled 24-7 to a Roman guard. Imagine that. He couldn't preach. He couldn't earn money to support himself as he had done before. He is dependent upon others. This is a man who's a type A personality. He's self-sufficient. He's a man who takes care of himself. He doesn't need anybody. But here he is in a position where he's very dependent on others. He's under attack by other Christians. Can you believe that? We say, well, I thought Christians were supposed to be loving. How many know that sometimes Christians are not loving? And he thought maybe that perhaps his imprisonment would affect the believers in Philippi and all around him, maybe stifling, stopping their Christian witness? Well, these are important questions for us to consider. And these are questions that we must ask of ourselves. What is the most important thing for Alan Duncalf? What's the most important thing for Nick Hack? What is the important thing? And the second thing is, 
in the midst of the problems and the attacks and the struggles of life, how do we remain positive? How do we, how do we stay on top of it? How do we remain encouraged in the Lord? I mean, you saw the Apostle Paul say here in verse 18, it, yeah, I will continue to rejoice and I will rejoice. This doesn't make sense. The man's in prison. If anybody had a reason to complain, it's the Apostle Paul. If anybody had a reason not to rejoice, it's the Apostle Paul. So let's take a look then at these words to the Philippians. We'll look at that first verse of Philippians 1.12. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has in fact really served to advance the gospel. You need to scratch your head and say, Paul, what are you talking about? How can you say that this is advancing the gospel when you're sitting back and doing nothing? Well, Paul refused to have a pity party. He refused to say, why me? How many of us have done that? Why me, Lord? Why has this happened to me? There's a reason, folks, why Paul is not having a pity party and he's not feeling sorry for himself because he understands who God is. More of that in just a moment. For him, for the Apostle Paul, all that really mattered to him was preaching the gospel. And folks, listen to this. Preaching the gospel was at the very core of all his hopes and his desires. And so here's what we know. The most important thing for the Apostle Paul is preaching the gospel. The question is this, did it happen? Well, in fact, it does. But before I, I answer that, before I fur, speak further about that, let me, let me look at the second question. How do I remain positive? So we know that the most important thing to the Apostle Paul was the proclamation of the gospel. And by the way, if you're a Christian today, that should be the most important thing in your life, is that the gospel is preached. More, impo- more important than anything else that you do, more important than any other aspiration that you may have. Second thing is, how do I remain positive and encouraged? Well, to answer this question, there's something that you need to know about the Apostle Paul. Paul had more than just strong faith. What he had was a strong doctrine of God. He understood who he served. He understood his God. And this is why the Apostle Paul is able to say to the Romans, in Romans 8, 28, he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So whether I'm in prison or free, I know that everything is gonna work out the way God wants it to work out. Why? Because Paul knows who God is. God is sovereign. That is, he is over all means he's supreme over everything and everyone. And if you don't understand that about God, if you don't understand the nature and the power of God, then I'm going to tell you right now, you will easily be discouraged. You'll be one of those people that's discouraged all the time. You'll be one of those people that is that's constantly giving into the temptation to despair. It's woe is me. It's never, everything's a mess. It's, it's all, everything's ruined. But if you understand who God is, that he is omnipotent, all-powerful, that he is omniscient, all-knowing, that he's, he's omnipresent, he's everywhere, then suddenly that changes your view of everything. God's in charge. God knows what he's doing. 
And the Apostle Paul, sitting there in prison, understood that God was still in charge, even though it seemed as though Rome was in charge. Now let the Spirit of God speak to your heart right now. Because for many of us, we're tempted to think the devil's in charge. We're tempted to think that our crazy family members are in charge. We're tempted to think our boss is in charge. The government's in charge. But ultimately, what you need to know is God is sovereign over all. And you can rest in that fact. This is why Paul is encouraged. This is why Paul is at rest. This is why he's not panicking. He's not chewing his nails off. He's not saying, oh, no, no, what's going to happen? God's got it all together. He's got everything under control. You don't have to worry about anything. So are you encouraged in the face of your difficulties and struggles? You ought to be. But you see, Paul was a student of Scripture. He knew the Word of God. Now, we had lights installed. We spent, I think, $20,000 installing lights so everybody could come to church with the Bible. But I don't see any Bibles out. There's maybe one over there. Now, there's another one over there. We, I want you to start interacting with your Bible. I even ask my, my elders and I ask my staff, my, the, you need to get a Bible and you need to open it and you need to follow along so that you can mark these important verses. I'm telling you, that verse that we just read is one of the most important verses in the Bible. Everything's working together for God's purpose. Now, here's the thing. Paul knows the scripture. Psalms 115 verse 3, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Not even Satan has this kind of power. Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. How many know that God's purpose always prevails? God does not sit back chewing his nails thinking, oh no, it's all all falling apart. The wheels are coming off. It's not going to work. Job 42, verse 2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Paul knows who God is. And by the way, that's why you have to read your Bible. This is why you need to know the Scriptures. This is why you need to understand the doctrine of God. You need to know who he is. And this is why Paul has this confidence. Folks, relax, don't panic. I know that everything that's happened to me is all going to be helpful for God's purpose. It'll all be helpful to spread the gospel, even being in prison. Wow. And so Paul reassures the Philippians, who may have felt discouraged and even hopeless concerning Paul. He's saying, Philippians, don't worry, relax. I'm in jail, but that's not a problem. God knows all about it. The gospel's advance and the kingdom is growing. And so what Paul does now is he shares three ways in which God is advancing the gospel and in which the kingdom is growing. And so let me just quickly share them with you this morning. So the first thing we read, and we'll look at verse, uh, verses 12 to 13 of Philippians 1. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What's he saying? God's sovereign, he's in charge, so don't worry. Watch this, he says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. What on earth is he saying here? Well, he's saying that he is being guarded by the praetorium. This is the the, uh, imperial guard of Caesar's household. There's 9,000 hand-picked elite guards that, that were in Caesar's household, and their job was to protect Caesar. 
And, uh, and their job was also to protect and to guard these, these uh, prisoners of Caesar. And Paul was a prisoner of Caesar. He appealed to Caesar. Remember that he was in Jerusalem, he was arrested. And he said, hang on a minute here, folks, I'm appealing to Caesar. Because he appealed to Caesar, he's shipped off to Rome where he can speak directly to Caesar and state his case. These soldiers were, were shackled to Paul 24-7. Not the same one, there, there would have been a rotation. So just think about this for a moment. Have you ever heard of the term a captive audience? It wasn't Paul who was captive, it was the guards that were captive. They were now his prisoner. <laughs> they were handcuffed to Paul, and now they were forced to listen to the Apostle Paul preach the gospel. Remember, the Apostle Paul had people coming and going all the time. And as they came in, the guard is sitting there thinking, oh no, here we go again. And, I'm, and the Apostle Paul, I'm sure, every time there was a new, new guard on duty and he was shackled to the Apostle Paul, I can just imagine the Apostle Paul uh, uh, uttering this simple little prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the opportunity to tell another one about Jesus. Think about that. Hey, when you understand that God's sovereign, you begin to see things through different lenses. You begin to see some of the difficulties you're going through as opportunities opportunities to glorify God, opportunities to proclaim the gospel. By the way, does everybody know what the gospel is? The gospel, very simply, is Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. Jesus Christ died on the cross in order that we may be made right with God. We are, there's a mighty chasm between us and God until we put our faith in Christ. And when that happens, we're made right with God. And then the Bible says we have the freedom and we have the privilege of going into the very throne room of God, able to pour out all of our requests and our issues to God. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that humans have been made right with God through Jesus Christ. At once we were, we were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, but Jesus Christ brings us back into Eden. What is Eden? It's the presence of God. Back into fellowship with God. So here's, here are these elite soldiers listening to the Apostle Paul telling his visitors all about Christ, the Jewish Messiah, all about Jesus and his miracles and his amazing teachings, all about Jesus Christ and how he was put to death, but then came back to life, was resurrected from the dead. And this Jesus Christ who forgives sins through his death and resurrection, this Jesus Christ who makes us right with God. And so these, these guards are listening to this day in and day out. And I'm sure that the, it must have given Paul a great kick. I mean, he must have really got a real, a real jolt of joy out of that. That must have been fun for him. Watching these praetorium, watching these guards, watching the look on their faces as he's slowly and quietly and systematically proclaiming Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing, folks. We know that some of those guards became Christians. Because when you get to the end of Philippians, Philippians chapter four, verses 21 and 22, Paul is sending greetings to the church in Philippi. And he says, and by the way, all the saints, that is all the Christians, greet you, especially 
those of Caesar's household. Isn't that amazing? These guards, these elite, these men of Caesar's household now have been converted. And how ironic, how sublimely ironic that Paul's imprisonment brought the gospel to the very heart of secular political power in Rome. Isn't that just the way God works? How else would they have heard? How many know today God knows what he's doing? God always knows exactly what he's doing. And although you may not know what he's doing, and although you may not understand what's going on, and although it may seem an inconvenience to you, you know that God's in charge. And folks, listen, this is what it means to be a Christian. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So now it's not about you and your agenda. How many of us go into prayer and say, God, this is what I want you to take care of for me today. I want you to do A, B, C, and D. And when you're done with that, if you've got time, take care of F, G, H, I, J. And and we tell God what to do as if God's sitting in heaven taking notes. Oh, what should I do now? I don't know what to do. It's a good thing Alan's here to tell me what to do. That's not how it works. We go to God in prayer and we say, God, what do you want me to do? What is your will? What is your purpose? What's your plan? And so that's exactly what happens here. Paul's saying, hey, it seems like everything's out of hand, but I got to tell you that what's happened to me has really, in fact, served to advance the gospel in ways you wouldn't even believe, things I wouldn't have thought of. I could never have come up with this on my own, the apostle Paul would say. God is doing his work, and now even Caesar's household is coming to Christ. Wow, that, my friends, is what it means to be a Christian. Wow. But wait, it gets better. And then we get to the next verse. And and he says this, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So what Paul is saying is, you know, I went into prison and I thought everybody would be discouraged. It would scare everybody off and people would stop preaching the gospel. People would stop witnessing because they'd be afraid of being thrown into jail. But he said quite the opposite happened. Rather than people being afraid, it has emboldened them. They've been inspired. Now they're going out and they're preaching boldly in ways that they never spoke before. It's brilliant. Now, folks, listen, I've experienced this myself. I remember as a boy, Pastor Barber had Richard Wormbrand come and speak at Calvary Temple. And the story he told of, of what he went through under the communist dictator, Nikolai Ceausescu, it was absolutely horrifying. We sat there and we listened to this dear pastor who was so weak from years of being in a communist prison that while everybody else stood to preach, he had to sit down and share his story because he didn't have the strength. And I remember sitting there as a boy and listening to him talk about how he was persecuted, how he was tortured for Christ. And by the way, he wrote a book called Tortured for Christ. He told the story of how he was tortured for Christ because he refused to keep his mouth shut when it comes to preaching about Jesus Christ. In fact, there was a meeting 
When, when Ceausescu came to power, there was a meeting. All the pastors were called together, and they were told what they were allowed to preach and what they were not allowed to preach, and they were told what they could do and what they couldn't do. And it was actually Richard Wormbrand's wife, Sabina, who gave her husband a mighty nudge in the side. And she said, are you just going to sit there and let the name of Jesus be, be treated in such a, a, a blasphemous way? Are you just going to sit there and do nothing? And so she, how many know that men need a good wife? <laughs> That's exactly what Sabina did. Just don't just sit there, stand up for Jesus. And so that's what he did. He stood up and he said, I can tell you now, whatever you say, there's somebody higher than you, sir. I listen to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't listen to dictators. Everybody cheered. And uh, as soon as the meeting was let out, he was arrested, and he was put in jail. And all the time he was in jail, he refused to back off his gospel message. He was tortured. He was starved. His body was, suffered permanent damage. And you might be tempted to think, oh, well, where's God in all this? Well, what you don't know is that while he was in prison, he led one man after another to Jesus Christ. One man after another was saved. And more than that, then, he was released from, miraculously released from prison, went to the West, and he started preaching the gospel in the West. And I was one of those people that heard him, and it changed my life forever. Although I was shocked and I couldn't imagine going through what he went through, I found myself the very next day going to school and telling my friends about Richard Wormbrandt, and then telling them about Jesus. I was inspired, you see. I was emboldened. I became much more bold and able to speak the word of God without fear. If Richard Wormbrandt, in the face of this brutal dictator, could proclaim Christ, I could proclaim Christ to my grade five friends. No problem. And I did. And I brought many of them to church. Let me give you another example. Back in 1956, Life magazine published the horrifying black and white pictures of five dead missionary men laying dead in the water and on the beach. It was Jim Elliott and these young men who had just graduated from Bible college. They felt that God had called them to go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Aka Indians in South America. I first read about it in the book called Through Gates of Splendor. It changed my life absolutely changed my life. There's, there's a, a movie even that came out called Through Gates of Splendor, and then a, a recent one, some of you may have seen it, and if you haven't, I recommend that you see it, called End of the Spear. It was one of those men, Jim Elliott, who wrote these words. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And what's he talking about there? He's talking about his life. He is no fool who gives his life to keep what he cannot lose. When you give your life, God gives you your life. Isn't that true? That's exactly what, this is what Jesus tells us. If you want to be a Christian, you must do what? You must die to yourself. And so that's what Jim Elliot did. He went and gave his life. And you, some, of, some people were saying, what a waste. What a, what a waste of these five men and their families left without fathers. And you could say, well, what was the point of all that? 
Jim Elliott wrote those words almost as a prophecy of what he was going to experience. Well, folks, I want you to know that after, after the publication of those photos of those dead missionaries who really didn't get a chance even to preach the gospel to them but gave their lives, here's what happened afterward. His wife, Jim Elliott's wife, was able to actually go to that tribe and was able to win many of them to Christ. And what happened is that there was a whole generation of young men, young women, young couples who were inspired by this, who went out to preach the gospel. I was one of those young people that was inspired, and that's why I went to Greece as a missionary, because he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Folks, that's the Apostle Paul. He inspired a whole generation of believers in Rome and around the world to preach the gospel. They became fearless. They were timid before, but now they are fearless in proclaiming Christ. So Paul says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Caesar's household now, is many are getting saved there. And he said, people are becoming bold, emboldened to preach the gospel. But even more than that, there are some preachers who are jealous of me. And because they're jealous of me, they're going out and preaching more. Go figure that out. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. Here's what he says. He says in Philippians 1, 15 to 17, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Now, this is very strange. Paul is saying, you know what? There's people who are jealous of me. You have to know who Paul is. Paul is that type A personality. He's self-confident. He knows what he believes. He's extremely intelligent. And he knows what he needs to get done for the glory of God. He's, He's got a success like no other, and it really irritated some of these pastors and preachers in Rome. And so they were jealous of him, and there was a rivalry. And and you know what, really, this is what shows me that the scriptures really are true. Because nobody would include that detail, because it makes it look like Christians are are, are a little bit wacky. Really? Rivalry? I thought you guys were Christians. How could you be jealous? How could there be envy and rivalry? That's a wonderful thing about the scripture. It tells the truth. Tells the truth, warts and all. The beautiful stuff, but also the warts and the not-so-attractive stuff. There's a Greek historian, Xenophon, who said, the envious are those who are annoyed only at their friends' successes. That's the way it was for the Apostle Paul. They were, these guys were annoyed at his success. Listen, folks, think about it. The Apostle Paul has been on numerous missions trips. He's... He has taken Asia, Asia Minor for for Christ. Many, many churches established throughout Asia Minor through modern-day Turkey. He he was the first one to bring the gospel to Europe. Many churches planted in Europe. He dealt with the Judaizers, people who wanted to turn Christians into Jews by making them observe the law. He's fighting against them and heretics, and he won. He keeps winning, one win after another. Now, is it because he's so brilliant? No, it's because he knows who God is. He knows God's sovereign. He's in charge. God's God. He can handle it. That's the beauty of the Apostle Paul. 
And so when Paul arrives in Rome, the focus of the church turns away from these leaders and turns to the apostle Paul. Now suddenly everybody's listening to Paul and visiting him in jail and the leadership is now quite green with envy. And so there's a a contentiousness and a gospel rivalry. I want you to see something here, which is really quite important to see. These, These preachers that Paul's talking about Paul doesn't call them heretics. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't say that they're damned and going to hell the way that he s- speaks of some of the, the false teachers in the book of Galatians. These people, they're not anti-Christ. These people are anti-Paul. <laughs> and this is something that happens, unfortunately. There's people who become jealous. And uh, the, the thing is this, Paul's pointing out, these guys, these pastors these so-called preachers of the gospel, they're, uh, they're jealous, but the beautiful thing is that they're still preaching the gospel. In fact, Paul being in Rome actually motivated them to get out there and start preaching, even though they were jealous. And uh, I gotta tell you, I've been in the ministry for four decades, and I've seen this over and over and over again, a jealousy a jealousy amongst Christians, a jealousy amongst those who are in ministry. It's just a sad fact, but it happens. So Paul says, what do I do with this? What do I do with this? Well, here's what he says. What then? In other words, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what these people, here's, here's the only thing that matters. He says only that in every way, whether in, in, in pretense, that is whether they're fake or in truth, he says, it doesn't matter. The point is, is that Christ is being proclaimed, and in that, I rejoice. Paul being there has generated jealousy amongst the pastors, which has in turn motivated them to get out there and start preaching the way they should have been doing in the first place. And Paul says, say whatever you want about me, but the thing that really matters is that the gospel is being proclaimed. Folks, this should give us a real clue, a real understanding of what really matters. Because the apostle had two choices. He could have become, and this is something this, this is something we all will deal with. He had two choices. He could focus his energy on these people who are anti-Paul. Can I tell you this? I've been in the ministry for 40 years, and I've had a lot of people who are anti-Allen. My wife can't believe that, but it's true. There have been a lot of people over the years. And I learned from the Apostle Paul that I could either focus on the anti-Allen people or the anti-Paul people, or I could focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when you get focused on the people who are against you, that now consumes you with bitterness, with anger, with resentment. You have this feeling you gotta get even, we gotta have vengeance, we gotta deal with this, we gotta bring this to a conclusion, we gotta expose these people for the frauds that they are, we gotta, we gotta expose the pretense, as the Apostle Paul says, and now that's all, that becomes the main thing in your life, getting even, I gotta, I gotta make, I gotta speak up for myself, I gotta make sure everybody knows that I'm innocent. Paul doesn't do that, he goes, as it says in the NLT, but what does that matter? Or as it says here, what then? In other words, who cares? 
What matters is that the gospel is going out and people are hearing about Jesus. That's all that matters. And so that's what the Apostle Paul does. Rather than focusing on the anti-Paul people, he focuses on the Lord Jesus Christ. He ignored them and chose instead to rejoice. Folks, this is a lesson for us. It's very easy to get caught up in petty rivalries, but we hear the voice of God telling us for other to focus on him. So what do we do with this? Well, it takes us back to the very first verse that we looked at this morning. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. If you understand that you are called by God to follow Christ, then the most important thing in your life is going to be the advancement of the gospel, that people hear about this Jesus Christ who, who cleanses people of their sin, who makes people right with God, who makes people fit for heaven. When you understand that that's your calling, then suddenly you, with the Apostle Paul, are concerned only about the advancement of the gospel. What are your aspirations? What is it that you want in life? What are your ambitions? If you're a Christian today, you have one ambition, and that is that the gospel is proclaimed to all people. That is that people everywhere hear about Jesus. That's all that matters to you. Sadly, sadly, there's too many pastors and, and preachers and, and churches today that are preaching an, another gospel that are telling you that you should go after your dreams and go after your visions, go after your, 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 your inspirations and your ambitions. But that's not what we're told in Scripture. Our calling is to proclaim Christ and to proclaim the message of the cross. That's why we're called Cross Church, because the cross is at the very center of what we are and who we are. I have heard amazing, crazy stuff preached in churches. But I'm going to tell you, folks, I'm not going to be the pastor of this church forever. I'm, I'm getting up there in the years. At some point, you're going to have to hire a new pastor. And by the way, I'm not resigning this morning, so don't worry. But when you, when you hire the next pastor, if it's not crystal clear that he's ambitious and driven and motivated to preach the gospel, run for your life as far away as possible from that man. You want a pastor who understands what the main thing is, and that is that the gospel advance, that God's kingdom be spread throughout this world. And so that was Paul. He was gospel intoxicated. Isn't that a good way of putting it? Intoxicated with it. He couldn't get enough of it. He was hooked on Jesus. This was, this was his obsession. This was his addiction. He couldn't get enough of Christ. He was so centered on getting the good news of Christ out to everybody in Rome that he's willing even to subject his own feelings and his own reputation. He didn't even care about his reputation. People, people say whatever they want. I don't care. What does it matter? as long as Jesus is being proclaimed. And so he subjected everything to the gospel, his reputation and everything. Now look at our own comfort, our own bruised feelings, our reputations, our misunderstood motives, all of these are insignificant in comparison to the proclamation and the advancement and the splendor of the gospel. This has got to be all that matters in your life. And by the way, that's what this church has been about. 
It's remarkable that a church our size in one of the poorest communities in Winnipeg is able to raise over $100,000 in one weekend. And by the way, that's not all that we raise. We raise money throughout the year, but there's one big push in February. And sponsoring, we've got 500 kids, and the majority of them are sponsored sponsored multiple times by people in this church who understand this call to get the gospel out. Because it's all that matters. It's the main thing. So let me ask you, what are your aspirations? What's, what's your ambition in life? Some, I hope, some of you, are, my job, I, I want to make lots of money, I want to get married, I want to travel, um, I want to have a great education, I want to I see my grandchildren grow up, I want to find a new job, I want to retire early. Look, none of those things are inherently wrong in of themselves, but they never should take the place of the proclamation of the gospel. Are we getting the message here this morning? I'm just getting, driving it home. The advancement of the gospel, the advancement of the gospel, the advancement of the... That's all that matters. It must come first. Now, here's the thing, folks. As evangelicals, we we are constantly being called on to participate in all kinds of social justice issues. So many social justice issues cry for our attention. Abortion, pornography, media bias, economic justice, racial discrimination, classism, sexism, politics, and the list goes on and on and on and on. I'm gonna tell you something. Do you know that Paul in his time was facing all these same issues? Did you know that? Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. The issues that we're dealing with today, we're all we're all sort of shocked at what's going on. But this is nothing new. This has been going on through the end through the ages. It's been going on for, for millennia. Paul was dealing with the same thing, but you'll notice something about the Apostle Paul. He doesn't get into a diatribe on any of those issues. What does he do? He advances the gospel. Because here's what happens: when people surrender to Jesus Christ. When people hear the gospel and are transformed by the gospel, suddenly, these are not issues anymore. When you become a Christian, you don't have an abortion. When you become a Christian, you're not looking at pornography. When you become a Christian, you don't care about economic justice or racial, you're not, you're not becoming a, 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 an economic pariah, that is, you're not taking advantage of people, you're, you're looking for economic equity, but that only happens when your heart is transformed. You can't legislate this, folks, and we're seeing it all the time. You can't legislate against this human behavior. It has to be a change of heart. And that's the power of the gospel. And so when, when Wales experienced a great revival back in the 1700s and 1800s and 1900s, what happened? They had to close all the bars because nobody's going, going to the bar to get drunk. There's no more fighting. The jails are empty. Nobody's in jail because everybody's in church. Everybody's enjoying Jesus. That's the power of the gospel. It transforms a culture, transforms a country. So here's the question. Is the gospel first and foremost in our lives? The answer to that question will, in fact, determine our future. And here's what we're seeing right now, folks. These are the statistics. Is that the church is in severe decline right now in North America and in the West. And you want to know why? 
and it, it, this is all, it's not just surmising. It's just not, it's not just sort of me, this is my opinion. But research shows that the reason that the church is in decline is because advancing the gospel is no longer the main thing. There are many other things that are the main thing. Now, some of you are sitting here this morning saying, well, hang on a minute, Pastor, we're talking about sponsoring 43 children. What does that got to do with the gospel? Well, here's the thing. If the gospel was not being preached to these kids, then we would not be doing this. We would not be involved in that work. Every one of these kids, we put a roof over their head. We make sure they have the clothing that they need. We make sure that they have health care. We make sure that they've got two square meals every day. We make sure that, that they have education. All their needs are met. But on top of that, what we're doing is we're planting churches there as well in Burundi so that the church is there to shape them spiritually because that is the main thing. That is the main thing. Every church that forgets that the main thing is the gospel and the proclamation of Christ is, a, is an organization or a church that becomes irrelevant. Do you know that it was gospel first people, people who understood that the gospel is number one. These are the people who led the way in the abolition of slavery it was Christians who led the way in prison reform. It was Christians who led the way in child labor laws so that little six-year-old children could not go down into a mine as a coal miner. I mean, the thought of it is, is abhorrent to us, and yet this was a common practice everywhere around the world. But it was Christians who led the way in these laws, these child labor laws. It was Christians that planted churches all over the world. Our son, Jesse, was born in the Presbyterian Hospital in Thessaloniki, in the little, in the little town of Panorama overlooking Thessaloniki. That was planted by Christians. And we have planted churches around the world, or not just churches around the world, but hospitals around the world. And not just that, but also schools. Do you understand that all the great Ivy League universities were at first theological schools? Oxford University, I think they got 35 colleges, every single one of them, every single one of those colleges was established to train ministers to be, to be ministers in their parish, in different parishes around England. Cambridge too, Yale, Princeton, Harvard, all of these were Christian universities to train young men to be preachers of the gospel. You didn't know that. But that's when we were talking about advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was Christians, my friends, who led the way in battling poverty. And so when there is famine in the world, who are the first people there? Christians are the first people there to provide food for those who are starving to death. And when it comes to women, Women, to this day, are still in different parts of the world treated like they're second-class citizens, like they're property that belonged to their husband. It was Jesus that changed all of that, treating that woman at the well as though she were a human and not a second-class citizen. It's Christians that led the way in protecting women. That, my friends, comes because of the advancement of the gospel, a whole community, a whole country 
is transformed through the advancement of the gospel. And that, my friends, is why we raise money the way we do. And that's why we, we un, unashamedly ask you to give and to give generously so that we can get the work done. Advancing the gospel is all that matters because wherever the gospel advances, this is where peace reigns and this is where human rights are upheld and this is where people are treated as people created in the image of God. That's the power of the gospel. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we want to say thank you this morning that we have been recipients of the gospel message. Most of us in this room have been born again. Most of us have put our faith in Christ and experienced the joy of following Jesus. And it's transformed our lives. Because of Christ, marriages have been healed. Families have been healed. Broken minds have been healed. People who have struggled with emotional issues, they've been healed because they put their faith in Christ. Father, we see in the Apostle Paul a man who in the very worst circumstances is able to say all of these difficulties have really served to advance the gospel. God, help us to have the attitude of the Apostle Paul who understood that the gospel was advanced because of the, the slight discomfort he was going through. Oh God, we commit ourselves to you now asking for grace to double down and do even more to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ because we know that's what the world needs and that is what transforms this world. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said it with me? Tell the person beside you, go tell someone about Jesus. Jesus.